Hey, everybody. Good morning and welcome. Uh, wherever you are joining us from, you're welcome, and I'm glad you're here. Whether you're at Bel Air campus, we say hello to all you guys, and Abingdon campus, and Edgewood campus, Mountain Road campus, online, really glad you're here. Let's get started. This right here, your life. This is your life right here, all right? This is your, this is your time. This, this is your schedule, all right? It's your, it's your life, and everybody's got the same size jar, all right? It's an old illustration I saw years ago. It still speaks to me, and maybe it'll help you. Here's the deal. We all have stuff that we kind of uh, do every day. These sa- the sand, these tiny grains of sand represent the sort of mindless activities that we do every day. You get online, you can't stop surfing the web, and you can't remember what you even looked up after an hour and a half. You binge on some silly show. You, you watch a documentary on cats, and you hate cats. You know, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> You know, just, just the sort of mindless thing. Isn't it interesting how much of our time is spent doing things that you just like, oh man, I, 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 where, did, where did it go? And, and yet there, there it is. And then this, these smaller pebbles represent, in, you know, there are things in our life that we've got to do every day. There are errands we have to run. There's, there's prescriptions to fill. There's lunches to make. And you've got to go to work. And you've got to do the busy work and answer the emails and do your taxes and all this stuff. And, and they just... There's a, lot, there's a lot of this in our lives, is there not? And, and there it is. Isn't it interesting how much of our lives is just that sort of stuff? You get to the end of the day, you get to the end of the week, and you're like, I was busy the whole time. But you didn't necessarily get, you can't really talk about all the things you got done necessarily. These are the big rocks. The big rocks are the important things. They're the things that really matter to you, Okay. They're the things that ha- are weightier. They're substantive. They're, they're the big ones, okay? So these are the things that we want to put in, the, in there. So that, that might be your relationships with your family, your, your wife, your husband, your kids, your relationship with God. You want to make sure you've got some big projects at work you've got to do, your health. These are the big rocks that we've got to pay attention to. And yet... When we put some of those big rocks in, can we also notice how quickly the jar is full already? And now we've got some of these rocks that are on the table. I mean, there goes my vacation. Oh, maybe I can squeeze in. No, there's no room. There went. I, I keep meaning to get together with friends. Well, I want to do these relationships with friends, but I can't do that. There's no time for that. Here was that big opportunity I really wanted to say yes to, but I, I can't. I just can't. Anybody relate to this? Anybody feel like you've got this kind of thing ever in your life? What, what if we kind of went at it in a completely different way, all right? So what if we just kind of take some of these big rocks out for a second? And the nice thing is we can kind of imagine going at it a completely different way. All right, just for a sec. Let's start over. Here's your life. I can't get you a bigger jar. Everybody says, if only I had more time. You know, give me 24 more hours, everything would be different. I can't do that for you. Everybody's got the same size jar. But you probably know where I'm going next, right? What if we, what if we put the big rocks in first? And so there's, there's that big opportunity you want to say yes to. And there's your life with God. And there's uh, you know, that, that, uh, the, all the big important stuff at, at work and, and your health and your family and your job and all this stuff. Wait a second. Look at that. Well, then we've got to go to work. We've still got to do this stuff. We've still got to, 
you know, pay the bills and pay the taxes and get things done and run errands and, you know, wash the car and all this stuff that we've got to do that just makes life life. You've got to chase after the kids and do it all. And now you even start noticing, we even start getting into some of those mindless things. There's still time for some of that. There's still time for, for some of that, uh, you know, mindless time waster stuff. We don't have to sort of spend every minute on, on with perfection. And yet, isn't it interesting? Look at this now. Look at this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You can still play a few more video games. <laughs> All right. A few video games. You know, one cat documentary. Who cares? <laughs> Isn't this an interesting way to live your life? This is a better way. This is a better, this is a better life. A couple of takeaways. One of the first ones is this. You've got to put the big rocks in first. If you're going to get the big rocks in, they got to go in first, or they don't really get in at all. Those big rocks are the important things in life. They'll never scream at you. They're never urgent. They never seem to come to us with a sort of red exclamation mark on the email. They're never someone demanding. They're never really ringing like a phone in your pocket where you just pick it up and respond in the moment. But they're the things, those relationships, that time with God, all that stuff, it's big and it's important. But you've got to be able to put the big rocks in first. So the key is not to try to prioritize what's already in the jar. The key is to start over and put the right stuff in the jar first. So you've got to know, what are my big rocks? Got to kind of think that through. Got to name them, label them. And, and we're talking here about making some decisions then. Taking responsibility for our life. Ta- taking some ownership. And whatever you do, Jesus says, I hope you remember I'm a big rock. Because if you get me in there, everything else tends to flow better. Seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus says. And everything else, that'll be added to you. That'll, 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 that'll get in later. Don't worry about that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, he says. That sounds like a big rock, doesn't it? So whatever you do, the big rocks you want in your jar, you want them to be the God-blessed things, the things that God intends to be in your jar. You want them to be the things that God ordains and blesses, your relationship with God, your family, and so forth, your health, your God-given dreams. Those are not meant to be left on the table because, well, gosh, you know, I didn't have any choice. My boss keeps piling on, and the kids are yelling, and i got to do all this stuff. And it's like at some point we got to take responsibility. And the second thing we got to realize is not only do we need to put the big rocks in first, we also got to realize... Sometimes you, got, you, you, you can't get it all in the jar. You can't fit everything in the jar. I mean, there's some stuff left over. And sometimes it might even be something that feels like a big rock that doesn't get in. But something has to be left out because we have to say no. That's a boundary line that, that's formed for us. 168 hours every week, that's a boundary line that's fixed. You can't change that. Well, you do have control over what goes in that boundary. So the myth is, and the time management myth is, that you can fit it all in if you just rearrange things. And it's not really true. You got to sometimes get rid of some rocks. Some of us need to work less. Some of us need to volunteer for, you know, four less things and volunteer for 12 things instead of 16. Some of us need to waste less time playing video games or Facebook or whatever it is. Whatever it is, you want to make sure it's God-blessed, God-ordained things in the jar. And this is all really, really hard for me. And those people who know me pretty well know this is like Wow, we need this about every six weeks to kind of go over this again because I, I struggle with this. I don't like to have limits. I love to push them. I love to sort of squeeze everything in my jar. I want more and more and more. Uh, I've, I've discovered along the way that God is omnipresent. He can be everywhere. 
I'd like to be like that. God is omnipotent. and He can do everything. He never gets tired. It's like, I'd like to be like that. That's, and when you put it in those terms, it's like, man, you know, realize when, we, when we're just kind of resistant to the limits that are given to us, our time, our energy, and, and the physicality of 168 hours a week, it's idolatry. It, God, God made us the way he did and with limits. It says your jar is this big, and when we push back against it, we're pushing back against something that's really good and blessed for us. I want to help us today follow some wisdom from God, some example from Jesus, and some clear teaching of the Bible so we can help draw some boundaries and figure out what are the big rocks and how do we get them in, and, and what are some other things that might not get in in order for us to be able to, to look at some boundaries in our time Boundaries in our time. And all through this, we're going to have to trust God that these limits and boundaries are not a bad, constricting thing, but a good and life-giving thing. And uh, we'll do better off if we just start off by admitting that we all kind of suffer from what John Orberg has called hurry sickness. (laughs) How many of you think, raise your hand in a minute here, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, if you think you might suffer from, from hurry sickness, anybody? Yeah? Yeah, hurry sickness is, uh, here's, here's, how, here's how you know. If you've ever shaved or put on makeup or uh, combed your hair or tied a tie while driving, you might have some of this. How many of you got some hands up there? I've changed clothes on the way to play tennis. I've changed clothes I'm from pants to shorts, the whole deal. That's what red lights are for, right? So just got to be careful of those trucks because they can kind of see in. You know. But that's it. Yeah, that's, this is a hurry sickness. What, if, you, if you can't remember the last time you stopped, whether well, it was a yellow light, because you think yellow means speed up to get through, you might have hurry sickness, right? If your kids think their names might be hurry up, because you're always saying, come on, hurry up, come on, hurry up, you might have some hurry sickness. Let me ask this. D- does anybody else, when you come up to an intersection, there's a stoplight, and there's two lanes to choose from. Does anybody else, like, count the cars? And then you study the make and the model and try to see if you can make out what kind of driver it is. Because if it's like that old lady here, I'm not getting behind her. I'm going for the kid in the Jeep every time, right? Am I the only one? And I'm like, let's get going. How about, at the, how about at the grocery store? Anybody else got hurry sitting to the grocery store? You're coming up. You got your items. You can't get in the 12 little hurry up lane. You, you know, you got 19, but now someone will probably count. You know, so I got to get in the line. So here I go. And I, you do the same thing, don't you? You kind of look and you're, you're secretly doing this math equation. You're counting up the number of people and then you're scanning the carts and you're doing a multiplier to see how long it's going to be. You're looking at the checker to see is she like kind of gabbing or is she like working? And that's your lane, right? And then how many of you match, you mark the person that got on the other line you didn't choose because now it's a race. And you're going to see like, okay. And you're kind of like, kind of like putting the things on the scanner for the lady. Come on, come on, come on. I mean, it's sick, isn't it? It's crazy. And this is, this is hurry sickness. And it's like we're working longer hours, lots of data on this. We know all the data. We're, we're sleeping less. We're on the go. And now the digital age says we're on 24-7. We're there all the time, overstuffed schedules. And it's like a badge of honor, this sort of busyness. You know, it's like, it used to be, how you doing? Oh, good, how you doing? Now it's like, how you doing? Busy? How you? Busy? That's what we say now. Like it's sort of a recognition and we're hurried and we're harried and we're hassled and frazzled and frenetic and, and we get this fear of missing out. Like five seconds go by. It's like, I don't know. What's she wearing? What, you know, it's like we, everybody seems to be living this way. And yet, Proverbs 14 reminds us that even though everybody seems to be living in that way, there is another way. There is a way, Proverbs 14 says, there's a way that appears to be right because everybody's doing it. But in the end, you know what? It leads to death. How many of you feel like the way that most people live in modern society today might not be right? 
Yeah. Proverbs 27 comes back and answers and says, you know, a prudent person, that means wise, is someone who foresees danger and takes precautions. You see there's a problem and you're going to do something about it, but it's a fool who just simply goes on blindly and suffers a consequence. says, I see a problem here, but I'm not going to do anything about it. And so today we're invited to kind of say, you know, is the flow that everybody's going with good or maybe not so good? And if there's a problem, do I need to do something about it? Romans 12, 2 says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And so there is a different way. Jesus says, I don't want you to be squeezed into the world's mold. I've got a different life for you. Jesus said in John 10, 10, he said, I've come that they may have life. And a lot of the way people are living is not really a life. It's busy, it's fast, it's crazy, it's hectic. But Jesus says, I want you to have life to the full. And he doesn't mean like crammed. Like He means like rich, abundant. Full like this kind of full. And I think if we've already filled our lives with other stuff, there's no room for the big rock of Jesus and the kind of life that he means. No wonder our jars are filled up instead with increasing measures of depression, anxiety, chronic worry and fatigue and burnout and all this depression and stuff like that. Well, if you struggle like this, with this like I do, you'll be comforted maybe to know that we're not alone. All through the Bible we find people struggling with stuff like this and there's a lot of help here. For example, Moses. Right? Moses is trying to lead the children of Israel through the wilderness. Right, They're out in the middle of the desert. And things don't always go so well out there. Everyone's kind of hangry and upset. So here, look at Numbers chapter 11, verse 10. Moses heard all the families standing in the doorways of their tents whining. That sounds like fun. That's his job. Listen to people come out their door in the morning and start griping. And the Lord became extremely angry. And Moses was also very aggravated. This is a great situation, isn't it? People whining, everyone's upset. Does it sound familiar? This, this, this right here, you know, this is some of our life. Every busy mom can relate to this. Now, he thinks it's his responsibility to make everybody happy, and so he's mad at God for it, and that's what sometimes happens. We get this big schedule, and we blame it on somebody else. And we're griping about it. Look how bad it gets. Verse 14. I can't carry all these people by myself. He says, this load is too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, God, just go ahead and kill me now. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. And you think, man, it's getting bad. And actually, the fact is, it's finally starting to get good. Because Moses is finally upset enough with the circumstances that he's going to maybe be ready to finally do something about it. See? He's finally like, I don't want to live this way anymore. And when you see that... Now we're finally getting someplace because there is the, the, the pain that we sometimes feel around the pressure of our schedule is the pathway to improvement and change if we'll allow it. Here's the deal. We're getting a payoff of some kind out of the craziness. We gripe about it. Oh, I'm too busy. I don't like this. Oh, my schedule's bad or I'll never have time. It's like, yeah, yeah, but you're getting a payoff. I get a payoff out of my crazy schedule or I wouldn't keep doing it. I don't know what that payoff is exactly for you, but you're like maybe you like people thinking you're important. Maybe you like to do things your own way and so you don't want to give it to someone else. Maybe you just like to be busy so you don't have to stop and think about your life. I don't know what it is, but you're getting some payoff or you wouldn't keep doing it. And when the pain and the displeasure of of that way of life gets to be great enough that it exceeds the payoff, then you're finally ready to say with Moses, I don't want to do this anymore. And God says, okay, now the door's open. Now we got something I can work with. I just wonder if there's anybody who's sort of willing to be honest enough to admit that, yeah, 
I don't really like it, but I'm going to do more than gripe about it. I'm going to let that pain open a door. And for anyone who's ever sort of felt that way, or maybe you're there right now, Jesus comes today and he has some great, great words for us. Matthew 11, listen to this. To a bunch of harried, hassled, stressed out people like us, Jesus says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, our hands go up, weary, burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn, learn, I want to teach you some things. I want to show you my way of, of living. I want to show you my way of filling the jar. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Not just rest for your body, not just rest for your schedule, rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Doesn't that sound good? <sighs> Jesus doesn't say, come to me and your life will be easy. He didn't say, come to me, and I'll put you on a perpetual vacation. No, there's going to be effort and work and energy, and Jesus was often busy himself, but, but, but he was never hurried. And he was talk, he, in the middle of his life circumstances, he had a rested soul. He says, I want to teach you that. Jesus faced all kinds of struggles, enormous amounts of responsibility, temptations, workload, family stress, gossip, conflict, all of it. And you ever notice, in the middle of that, he never got, like, oh, sarcastic or cynical. He never got real negative. He got, never got grumpy or, or whiny and, and never got sort of, you know, just sort of burnt out. And it was because he lived out of this relationship with the Father where it was like breathing and he'd breathe in the grace of the Father. He'd pull away and, the, and it would be like, and then he would go and he would extend grace to everyone else. Then he would step back and breathe it in. Fill in, breathe out. Breathing in your grace, breathing out your grace. And he says, I, one translation actually says here, let me teach you these unforced rhythms of grace. I want to teach this to you. Some of us need to learn those rhythms. Maybe for the first time or maybe again. I want to hear something crazy. Look at John 17, verse 4. Jesus says this. This is Jesus talking. Toward the end of his life, he says, I've brought you glory on earth by, he's talking to God, by finishing the work you gave me to do. How many of you have ever felt for one second in your life like I'm finished with all the work I ever have to do in my life? The average worker goes to work on Monday morning and there's 36 hours of work waiting for them. Like a whole week. Jesus somehow only had to save the world, but he's like, yep, I'm done. And he only had three years to do it. So what are we doing differently if we look at this differently than Jesus? Man, I've never felt that way in my life. It doesn't say, Jesus didn't say, I have completed all the work that everybody else wanted me to do. He says, I've completed the work that you wanted me to do, Father. You'll never complete the work that everybody else wants you to do. You'll never get all the jars that people hand all the rocks that people hand you and they want in your jar. But you have to take responsibility for your jar. And you, you aren't responsible to do everything either. Jesus wasn't even that way. He walked by blind people he didn't heal. He walked by lepers he didn't touch. He walked by people that he did not teach. Be, but he did what God had called him to do, and that's what brings God glory, and that's what gave him this abundant, full, good life, and that's what he wants to teach us. And you don't get there without putting some boundaries around your time so you can have a rested soul and an unhurried heart. So... Let's, let's learn a little more from Jesus here. One time, he sent out his followers. 
this is uh, exciting beginning time of the ministry, and he like sends them out on a mission trip, a, a group of them. And they go out and do all this amazing stuff, and they're so excited. They come back to Jesus, and they want to tell him all about it, and they want a new assignment. They're like, this was awesome. We did this. It was great. It was strong and all this. Mark chapter 6, verse 30 and 31. The apostles gathered around Jesus, and they reported to him all they had done and taught. And they're ready for, what's next? Where are we going to go? But then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. You ever have a day like that? So much happening, you can't even stop and get a meal in. Yeah, happens a lot to me, I hate to tell you. And so all these opportunities for more ministry are right there in front of them, and they're kind of like, okay, well, I guess we'll tell you about it quick, but just give us a new assignment. Let's deal with these people. And you kind of expect Jesus to say, well, we can't make these people wait to get back to work. But he didn't say that. He didn't say there'll be time for rest later. Right now, let's do double time, hop to it. He doesn't say that. In the middle of all this busy, crazy, flourishing moment with a big to-do list and people jamming up in their face... Look what Jesus says, verse 31. Instead, Jesus just says, come with me by yourselves. Not them, not that laundry list, not that to-do list, not their needs, not not what the, the hurried pressure is saying we need to do. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. Let's draw a little boundary and let's get some rest. And so they went away by themselves, just them and Jesus. The boundary was the edges of a boat. And they went to a solitary place. I don't know if they felt it was time. I don't think they did. I thought they were like, I'm ready to go. I don't feel. But Jesus says, no, now. Come apart. One translation says, Jesus said, come apart with me. Come apart. Come apart from all that. Get some distance and some separation and rest a while. What about the mission to save the world? What about the do list? What about the boss's demands? What about the laundry? What about the project? Jesus says, come apart. One, I love how one person says it. Jesus said, come apart before you come apart. Before you start fragmenting and dividing up your brain and your heart and your mind and get distracted and divided and fall apart physically, fall apart spiritually, fall apart emotionally, come apart before you come apart. Sometimes Jesus moved toward people and said, let's go engage. And sometimes he said, they can wait Come apart with me. Friend, Jesus sometimes stopped. He wasn't always on. There were real needs and to-do lists, and he stopped. He left some stuff there. So here's a question for each of us. When, when do you draw a line around some time where it's just you and Jesus? When do you do that? Where? Where is that space? Where's the boat that you get into where he says, come apart, before you come apart? Where nothing else can get in. It's a boundary. It's a time. The invitation is there for us, but we've got to say yes and get in the boat. And it doesn't say the noise will stop and the demands will stop and things will slow down. And when things slow down, then we'll hang out. Doesn't, no, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. You've got to put the big rocks in first. And by the way, What's interesting here, if you go on to the next verse, they have this moment of quiet and this solitude. They're going over to this solitary place and they're enjoying this little boat ride to get there. The people see them and the people run around and there they are on the bank going, hi, Jesus. So it was short-lived, but he got what he could and our lives are the same way. Getting in a boat and getting away with Jesus was probably the last thing that the disciples 
were expecting or would have sort of said, I know what we need to do because we don't think this way. It was counterintuitive, if you will. It was against the grain. But if you go with the flow, there's a way that seems right, but it leads to death. And you'll have all the wrong stuff on the table and the wrong stuff in the jar. So I want to just give you today some of these elements that you can include in your life to help you walk and live in the unforced rhythms of grace that Jesus talks about in Matthew 11. These are things that are not natural to me. I've had to discipline myself to invite them, welcome them, pursue them, and as I do, it just creates so much good in my life. The limits work. So let me just tell you about these three gifts, really. And then you've got to turn around and kind of give them to yourself. First gift is this. Slowness. Because I love to go. I love to go fast. Let's get going. You're like, make the point. What's the point here? <laughs> I've told you about this climb up Kilimanjaro. Um, we had like 27 of us going up this trail, and sometimes single file up this trail, and sometimes it wasn't super steep, and it wasn't even that hard, and there's a part of you that just wants to get going. It's like, come on, why are we going so slow? You know, it's like, come on, see the big mountain there? We got a lot to do, let's get up that mountain. We were get, uh, guided by these guides that, would, that told us that, um, you know, you just got to chill out a little bit. In fact, they taught us the Swahili word, pole pole. It means slowly, slowly, and they were always saying slowly. Slowly. They told us about people, these super-duper athletes that would just like tear up the mountain and then about the fourth day they'd bonk and wouldn't, they'd crash and wouldn't make it. Why? Because slowly, slowly is the way you do a journey like that. And so here they would be out in front of the group, not to show us the way, not to keep us moving fast, but to slow us down so we would get where we really wanted to go. And the Bible says Jesus is our trail leader, our pioneer, our trailblazer, the forerunner of our faith. And he's out in front. And I just wonder sometimes if we're just like, come on, Jesus. And we're just like rushing past him. You know, you can't build a marriage in a hurry. You can't grow a redwood in a hurry. You can't raise kids in a hurry. Well, not the way you want to raise them. You can't build friendships. You can't learn patience or wisdom in a hurry. You can't do anything that's a big rock of real substance while you're in a hurry. And so slowness is this thing where we intentionally say, how do I build a boundary that could kind of slow me down so I can stop rushing ahead of Jesus? Pole, pole. Come on, Jesus. I think he's out in front of us. Sometimes making us go faster than we want to go, but most of the time in my life, he's just like, pole, pole, Ben. How could you get some slowness in your life so some of the big rocks could get in? Second gift that you can give yourself is silence. Silence. We live in a noisy, distracted, you know, cacophonous sounds all around us all the time, don't we? I know we struggle with silence because in the rooted experience, and I hope a lot of you jump into that as soon as it gets started here in a little bit, and there's this little exercise we do together where we do silence, and I watch people, you can tell the ones who've never done it before because they're like fidgeting and nervous and breaking out in hives, and they're belching and cracking their knuckles, anything to fill the void, you know? It's like, i got to make some noise. I don't know what it is. Maybe we're afraid of hearing ourselves think or that we're, that, that we're going to look at ourselves in that moment of quiet, and we're not going to like what we see. Maybe we're going to hear from God, and we're not sure we're good with that, or maybe God won't talk to me, and we're not good with that. 
that, or maybe we're just insecure, or we'll have to think about our problems. I don't know what it is, but we'll do just about anything to keep the headphones going and the noise going and answer the phone and talk and keep it going all the time, walk in the door and turn it on. And it's, What is that about us? But silence is a, is a thing that invites God to sort of speak in a way we can finally hear. Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God. And they go together. Being still and knowing God go together. In a world where everyone says they're looking for God, what if it was as simple? We just shut up and sit down once in a while and discover that he's been there all along. And finally, in the quiet, we could maybe, in our settled spirit, hear something. In the solitude of a quiet, in, in a still moment of silence. And the Bible says, let all mortal flesh keep silence before God. So what if we just shut off the push notifications and the little dings and the bings and, the, and just don't fool anybody? That vibrate thing you keep doing, we hear it. We all hear it. Why don't we just turn the whole thing off for a little while sometimes? Elizabeth Browning has a poem called Aurora Lay, and she says these great words in it. She says, Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush a fire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. Is it possible that we're so busy plucking blackberries and filling our ears and heads with the noise of the world that we're missing the burning bush of God who's currently present and on fire right in our lives? But if we'll just kind of shut up and sit down and be still and be quiet, we could maybe meet and know a God that won't force his way over the top of all the other noise. Be still and know that I am God. One more gift that you can give yourself other than slowing down in silence would be a gift that I've struggled with at different times and I'm still learning, but love deeply now. And it kind of captures the other two in it. It's Sabbath. Sabbath. The Sabbath concept is important to us. I love snow days. Um, Okay, I love snow. I love, I'll just tell you, I do. Um, and I know snow days can be dangerous, and there's bus drivers and homeless and things that are serious about all that. But can I just say, can you go with me for a minute to say, is there a part of you that kind of welcomes a snow day when it's just like finally the kids are out of school? Maybe you even get off work if you're lucky. And just everything kind of shuts down, and it's just different. It's just like, ha, huh, now I don't have to go to that meeting. Don't have to do that. Don't have to do that. And, na- and, and you just kind of relax a little bit. Neighbors talk to each other, standing over their shovels. They never talk, but they do it on that day. The world slows down, and you can maybe read a little bit of that book that you've been meaning to read or, or, or sleep in the next morning because you know it's two-hour delay, or you can phone a friend that you've been meaning to but you never seem to have time to but you don't have any place else to go. Somehow friends find a way to get through the horrific streets to come over with a pizza and play games. In the middle of a snow day, you leisurely prepare a meal and you cook and eat it in a more relaxed pace and you have conversation. Your time with God is more relaxed, more reflective maybe. It's a gift. And God says you need that. Or you need a built-in snow day. And so he designs this idea of Sabbath principle. He himself demonstrated it, right, in the creation, right? Remember this, Genesis chapter 2. God creates one, two, three, four, five, six days. And then on the seventh day, what does God do? God rested. And he blessed that seventh day. Rest is blessed. It's not a duty, a chore, an obligation. It's a good thing. It's a gift. And why did God rest? Because he was tired, so exhausted. Like, gosh, making the giraffe was so hard. I need a break. No. He wasn't, he wasn't 
resting because he was tired. He's resting because he's showing us how to live on this planet. And second, he's showing us that this is the way I've built everything. This is out of my very nature. And so it's echoed in the creation, in the rhythms of the seasons and the ebb and the flow of the tides and everything. And so he says, I want you to live this way. And then sin enters the picture and we start working our heads to death. And so he says, all right, I got to make a line and a limit. So he says, it's part of the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, right? Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, draw that line, make a limit, don't do the work. Make it holy, separate, special, set apart, which means this is one of the things that's supposed to make God's people a little different than those who are going with the flow of crazy living, is that there's supposed to be some way that we, in a world of hurry and nonstop activity, intentionally pause and celebrate God, stop this sort of activity and work where we're proving our worth and productivity to everybody, and just celebrate life, replenish ourselves, and bask in God's presence once in a while. That's the Sabbath principle. And you can get all hung up on the legalism of it, like it's got to be this day and you can't wash dishes and blah, 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 and all that. And religious people are great at getting legalistic about stuff. And I don't think it helps us a lot to sort of get lost in making a bunch of strict rules that squeeze the life out of it. But I also know this, if we ignore this principle and motor through our lives without drawing some lines somewhere, and refuse to follow the example and the command of God and the example and the command of Jesus, then we're missing something really important and we don't get the right stuff in the jar. Two main questions about any Sabbath that you're trying to set up. One, what am I going to cease doing? And then, what might I do to make this a good, beautiful, life-giving time? So what are you going to cease doing? Uh, in Hebrew, the word Sabbath means stop. So it's like that, that activity, or those tasks and agendas. You've got to draw a line around and say, okay, not right now. So no laundry, no chores, or whatever it is. Get off the grid for a little bit. Set aside some of the activity and the work and the productivity that, that motors our lives every day and instead focus on some ways we can just be with God and rest as a child of God. For a lot of people, Sabbath means a sort of temporary tech fast just get away from the screens and the the updates and the emails and the and the texting and the and and the and the whatsapp and 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 just kind of draw a boundary and say not right now i'll get back to you later because right now i'm just breathing in a little bit of god because i'm going to have plenty of time to breathe it out later just stop and breathe the second question is not only just what must i cease you got to stop working or do something but then what must i do And this can look a million ways, and it's all up to you. It's whatever is life-giving for you, whatever fills your bucket. Some of the stuff you enjoy doing a lot that you never seem to have time to do that are God-honoring and God-blessing and God-filling that help connect you with God, connect you with other people. You basically want to reconnect with God and with other people and reconnect with your own soul. You want to refresh your spirit. So what is it that does that? For some, it's going to be like, I'm going to finally take a bath. I never take a bath. I'm going to take a slow breakfast. I'm going to... Listen to my favorite music or maybe just sit with my Bible open and I never get a chance to do that. Or for others, it's going to be get outside if that fills you up. Go for a long walk or sit in your little chair with your blanket if that's you. Or read some things out of a book or journal something or get crafty or get in the shop or work with your hands, whatever it might be. For others, it could be, you know, just a good workout or a Frisbee game or a board game or bike rides or crosswords or intimacy with your spouse or some good food to feast on. Connect with God. You get the picture. Whatever it is, you need to figure out somewhere or other, draw a line and say it's a snow day for my soul okay figure it out it's a gift it's not a command it's like oh gosh i gotta have my sabbath if we understood this we'd be like 
that's a rock I want in my jar. So we've got to ask, man, what, what's more important? So whatever occupies your time normally and commands your attention, fills your jar that you can maybe cease doing for a while in order to add some things that help you focus on God, rest in God, laugh with life, and find goodness and joy and celebration and peace and closeness to God. A couple suggestions. You can do this every day in a micro way, a micro Sabbath. Divert daily. Every day find some way to set something apart. It might be a few hours in the, uh, I mean a few moments in the morning. It could be an hour in the morning. It could be a few minutes as you uh, park in the parking lot at work. It could be at night. It could be whatever it is, but divert daily. But then, this is the one that I think is so important for us today. We've got to learn to withdraw weekly. And this is the challenge for you. When during your week could you draw a line and say, this is my snow day with God. This is my Sabbath principle. The Jews uh, started their days at sundown, and so Sabbath would start at sundown and go that evening, and then it would go part of the next day, and then that would how they do it. Some people, I get Thursday nights off. Okay, well, great. You, your Thursday night could be your Sabbath, or, you know, it's Saturday mornings till noon, or whatever it might be, but just draw some lines. Try something. See what happens. Letty Coleman told about a traveler visiting Africa, and she was kind of moving through and hired these tribesmen to guide her and carry her things and all. And she was very happy after the first day because they had covered so much ground and made so much progress, made, covered all these miles. And so the second day she gets up and gets ready to go, but all the carriers and the workers that she'd hired are just sitting there and they won't move. And she's very frustrated, and she asked the leader of the hired hand, she says, well, why won't they continue the journey? And, and he said, on the first day, we traveled too far too fast. And now they're waiting for their souls to catch up to their bodies. Are you living or moving your body and your mind and your life in such a way that you're leaving some of your soul behind? That's what Sabbath is to sort of remind us in a world like ours, instead of being squeezed into the mold and then seeing Jesus' rocks on the table at the end of the day, the week, the life, Instead, realize what good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul, to accomplish everything you set out to do or your boss wants you to do and lose your soul. Instead, to draw a line, make a limit, take responsibility. Uh, can I just say one quick thing for all of us? Ben, I'd love to, but I don't have time. Fair enough. I can't give you a bigger jar. I don't have any more time to offer you today, but if this sounds like a big rock to you and it sounds important to you, and maybe we need to start over with a clean jar and get the right rocks in first because this will never scream at you any more urgently than I am right now. It's up to you. Take responsibility for your one life and say with the psalmist, Psalm 23, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. Friends, where, where are your green pastures? Where's that place? God's already there waiting on you. The invitation is open, but then you've got to start draw some lines and say, this is my green pasture today, right now, here it is. Because that's the kind of thing that will allow you to breathe in and then breathe out in a way that makes you more of a human being. It'll make you more of the kind of life that you want to have. It'll get your jar the way you want it to be. Let's pray. God, thank you for the example we have in Jesus who was busy all the time, seemed like, but never hurried never rushed, never crazy, and knew how to find simplicity and solitude and slowness. 
silence in the middle of it all. Help us to latch on to the principles of Sabbath rest. Implement them in our lives so that we can say like Jesus, I got everything that I was supposed to do done to the glory of God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.